Welcome to Getting to the Core, a Wayne County Regional Educational Service Agency podcast. We invite you to join us as we discuss a variety of educational topics and hopefully plant a few seeds that get to the core of our mission, leading, learning for all. Welcome to another healthy serving of Wayne Reese's podcast, Getting to the Core. Today's topic features a conversation around school climate and culture. Here to chomp and chat with us today are Virginia, Ginny Winters, and Dr. Valicia Humes. Before we take our first bite, let's learn a little more about our two, two guests. Ginny Winters is currently serving as a school culture and equity consultant at Wayne Risa. Prior to Wayne Risa, she worked with a variety of organizations, which include educating and leading inside the Detroit public school system for over 20 years, a design team member for MDE's Coaching 101, and serving as a national faculty member for the School Development Program at Yale University. Ms. Winter's immediate educational goal is to complete her doctoral degree in curriculum, instruction, and assessment. Her dynamic partner, Dr. Valicia Humes, serves as school climate consultant with Wayne Risa and is currently part of the leadership of the Wayne County School Justice Partnership and Southeast Equity Coalition. Dr. Humes has a background in secondary, post-secondary, and adult educational leadership, as well as talent management. Examples of prior work include implementation of the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and positions within the Human Resources Department at the City of Scottsdale, one being the Director of the Office of Diversity Inclusion. And with that, I welcome you both. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I just wanna say good evening to our audience and good evening to Jason and Kyle, our colleagues, and of course, Dr. Humes. Um, and it's a real pleasure to be here. Hi, Jenny. Okay. Hi, Jason. Hi, Kyle. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. So before we begin this conversation, we would love to do just give you a moment to do a check-in. And we do this in anticipation of some of the things we're going to share with you today. So just take a moment to check in and just with yourself to just think about what are some of the things that are in your environment that serve as stressors for you? And after you've had an opportunity to bring that to your awareness, we're gonna ask you to take a moment to think about what else is in your environment that can serve as a place where you can decompress and relax. Because what, what, we're, what we're talking about today really lets us know that we have to take these moments to just have a real awareness, critical consciousness about ourselves. And so we welcome you to a conversation that we're entitling Culture, Climate, and COVID-19, The Impact on Learning. Yes. We know that over the last 20 months or so, um, we, <laughs> we found ourselves living and working through two crises, the COVID pandemic and the social upheaval and racial reckoning from the injustices that have occurred across the country. During this time, we've had to go into total remote learning, many of us, and then move and transition back to hybrid learning or face-to-face. -face. I think it's safe to say that we've endured even more of our share of stress, anxiety, and for many of us, trauma. And this stress, anxiety, and trauma doesn't stay home 
but it comes with us in the spaces that we go to. So it's imperative that we realize that every day staff, building leaders and students, as well as their families are bringing this stressor, these stressors in. At the same time, there have been young people who thrived in these remote environments. And research says that they were able to do that because they had a sense of agency, some purpose, and in leadership. And so when we talk today about how culture, climate, and COVID impact um, learning and teaching, we want you to think about this, the, this conversation on two levels, um, a systemic level, as well as an individual level. What do you think, Jenny? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, Belisa, as you, as you talked, is that, you know, we, we have really busy and harried lives in, in schools, and we're mainly have our gaze fixed on teaching and learning. And what seems to sometimes fall to the wayside is the idea that we are living in a climate and a culture, and that they hold in, an influence on our everyday goings on. And so I think it will be important for us to really lift this idea that the climate and the culture are actually deep factors that influence how this whole scenario begins to unfold. Tell so us more about that, Jenny. So let's let's just define that. We always talk about culture. And now sometimes we some may confuse that with holidays, but I'm talking about the culture of an, a group who are coming together. And we define culture as the way we do things around here. Right. Years ago, I remember uh, serving as a counselor in Detroit and a mother came into the, into the office one day and asked a question. Her son had forgotten his lunch. And she said, what would have happened if I weren't, you weren't able to connect with me? And so everybody said, well, we would have done something. I said, you know, I, I had a conversation with the office staff and I said, what she was asking was, what's the way you do things around here? Mm -hmm. How do you treat children around here mm -hmm. in the absence of parents? And so culture is the way we do things around here, the way we learn to behave, operate, problem solve, intervene, intersect with each other, uh, connect with each other as we've gone about our work. And, and the climate, I mean, the culture really is that overall piece that really is very hard to, to really influence outside of climate. Mm -hmm. And so unpack for our audience just a little bit the idea of how climate interfaces with culture and why aren't they the same? You know, and I'm glad you, you, you asked that because Often I hear um, our professionals interchange those, that, those terms and they're quite different. Um, so you said that culture is how we do things around here where climate actually is how we do things around here makes me feel or mm -hmm. makes others feel. And so to give you a great example of that um, and whether or not you know it's true or not, I can, I'm gonna identify a, an agency and then you think about how you respond when I say it. All right. Department of Motor Vehicles. <laughs> you have to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles. Look at, look, everyone, everyone has this same response. That's an example of how 
you do things around here, make people feel that come through the door. Um, one thing I can say about um, the Department of Motor Vehicles is that they're very consistent. I have lived in several, <laughs> I have lived in several states. Do not take this personal. Um, that climate is in every office that I've ever gone to. And the reason is, is because the culture that is found in those departments are centered on getting the work done of the individuals that sit behind that desk. It's not focused on the efficient delivery or the um, customer service level of those that they're serving. And so the, the, the processes that are put in place, the, the protocols that you hear, the go stand in this line and then come over to that line. Oh, you're in the wrong line. Now you have to go to the end of the line. All of that is because what's more important is the completion of that document that you have in your hand and who has to have it and what they have to do with it next. So culture and climate is huge. When we're talking about moving in to a school or going back to work even with the trauma and the anxiety that we have lived through over the last 20 months or so, it's important that your culture is one that provides individuals a safe and healthy and emotionally well experience. And we've discovered that that's even more important, at least at first, before you even start to teach and you try to instruct. What do you think about that, Jenny? What? Yeah, you know, I was just thinking it's really powerful to have an understanding about the difference between culture and climate. Culture, of course, being the things that we've learned to do as part of the way we've operated. And then climate, that lever that allows us to influence the culture. Mm -hmm. But here's where the intersection becomes interesting. Add something like COVID-19 to the formula, mm -hmm. and you've got a, a, an event, uh, a, something that shaped the whole context. And it doesn't mean that your culture goes away. Oh no. It still rings around those same patterns of behavior. Mm -hmm. But what if those patterns of behavior are not powerful and influential enough to support a safe, healthy, emotionally balanced climate? Correct. COVID-19, in effect, turned our schools upside down mm -hmm. and exposed many inequities. That existed Many, prior to the pandemic. Absolutely. And so while we really would like to be finished with COVID-19, <laughs> the fact is we're still in the midst of it. And COVID's not finished with us, right? COVID is not finished with us. And so what we'd like to do is just have a, just a brief dialogue with you and audience and also think with us. What's the relationship between climate, the climate in your building, how you feel about the way you operate, your modus operandi, the culture, and the factors that COVID-19 have brought for you to, to wade through, negotiate. And so many of our schools are returning back to, to their physical buildings and we want to say, yay, we're able to go back to our physical buildings. And yet, we're wondering why life hasn't turned, returned to its pre-pandemic state. Mm -hmm. So and let's just 
unpack that. Go right ahead. That, that's Please. simply because we're not in a pre-pandemic state. We are in the, the midst of a pandemic. And until um, herd immunity is established either by vaccinations or, um, or everyone haven't gotten it or um, however the epidemiologists are saying that it needs to happen. But we know that 80%, at least 80% or more of our population has to be vaccinated in order to manage COVID. Um, I, I think even with that said, I think we're, we're running back ignoring the fact that there are some external factors that have occurred and, and some um, lived experiences that have resulted from, like I said earlier, um, COVID-19, social unrest, and in the racial reckoning, this, this, all of the movements, um, they didn't cease. And as a matter of fact, we can see some of the anxiety and the stress playing out amongst adults, um, the, the, the violence on airplanes, the fights in grocery stores, the fights in parking lots, at restaurants, you know, this, this pent up anxiety. And, and one way that that's being played out in schools is um, fisticuffs. Kids are, there's more discipline going on, physical disciplines, even, even in, in schools that aren't known for that type of conflict resolution. Um, they're finding that a lot of their social media um, interactions are being solved in their, in their, um, in their hallways. Now, that's not a phenomenon. What is somewhat of a phenomenon is the increase in those instances because being at home and not being face-to-face -face with their friends, everyone moved to social media. So that's where those conversations have been taking place. So when, when they're coming in and the kids are having these type of conflicts, we have to ask, what are they telling us? Yes. Because that's a form of communication, whether it's acceptable or not. What, what are they telling us? And, and just based on what Bruce Perry talks to us about, which is a neuroscience, he's saying he has a three R's framework. And he's saying that in order to have a trauma-informed environment um, you, that provides safety um, and, su and support to not just students, but also to staff and their families, there are three things that we need to do. And, and I pulled up the, um, I raised the example of the fights and the verbal conflicts because we need to really find our place ourselves in spaces that help us regulate. Yes. You know, Lisa, yeah, here, here's the piece. Before you go on to Bruce's uh, steps that he's talked about, I want us to just focus the central question. Okay. How can we create a culture of care for staff growth and well-being as well as student growth and well-being? Now, for me, that's a departure. And it is because what we tend to do is say, what can we do for the kids? While they are central in our focus, mm -hmm. we cannot and dare not mm -hmm ignore that these precipitating factors impact staff, students, families, communities. We don't live in a vacuum. That's right. And so if we don't have that recognition, then our strategies, no matter how well 
executed, no matter how well-meaning, won't have the same impact of stabilizing the environment so that we can have a successful teaching and learning. That's true, Jenny. I'm, I'm a liken what you just said to like when you take an airplane ride and the stewardess is telling you, and, and just in case we lose compression <laughs> in the air, in the air with these, you know, these masks will drop. And what if you're traveling with the child first, put your mask on and then see to the child. That's what needs to happen in schools. Yes. Um, we, we have to provide supports for teachers. Yes. Who have gone through the same lived experiences. Yes. As children. And not only that, but the children are taking cues for, from in terms of how they regulate themselves. So if, if parents and adults are out, you know, using physical means for, um, solving their problems or rage mm-hmm. solving their problems then it shouldn't be a stretch by anyone's imagination that their counterparts call their children are doing the same absolutely so i believe just as you said that is it really important to identify the realities of teachers as well as staffs and students and absolutely I, and families and i say this because we realized the disproportionality that occurred as a result of COVID. And let me put it like this, no. The disproportionality already existed. So COVID ripped that Band-Aid off mm-hmm. or moved that curtain back and it was stark in front of our faces. But that means that not everyone had the same COVID experience. Yes. So you literally can have three groups or demographics in your school that all experience COVID differently. Yes but you have one set of protocols. This isn't a one size fits all remedy situation that we're in. That's right. It just, and so, go ahead. Oh, and so for one, the first part of, of that is acknowledging that everyone has had a different experience with yes. COVID not just the students and the families, but even the teachers and the parents. Absolutely. But you don't know what they need until you know what their realities are. Absolutely. That whole idea of going into a person's lived reality. And and I have to say, uh, Belisa, one thing that I think that works against us is that our schools have not been structured so that we have, we do that. Our schools, the protocols in our schools don't allow time for people to sit down and have a conversation around the lived realities that are presenting. What we do is we start on the other end. We start on the symptomatic behaviors Mm -hmm. and we don't really take the time to get to the causal effects. And so hopefully when we think about culture, climate and COVID-19 and the impact on the learning that's gonna happen, no learning will occur unless we understand the impact. And, and let's let's be candid about something else, the culture of education. Right now, we're being driven by tests and standards. And, and if the first thing you're hearing is that we need to get back to face-to-face because they've lost, they've lost, they've lost, they've lost so much, they've lost so much. I want to push back a little bit because I think our kids gained a lot too. They yes. gained a lot during this. Unfortunately, those aren't the variables that we're choosing to measure. So... Um, I mean, a lot of them gained empathy. A lot of them gained compassion. A lot of them gained agency. Uh, 
a lot of them found purpose and actually realized that they could be leaders. Yes. They were yes. leading their own lives and taking responsibility for it. And so the question is, is, well, what's that difference in that environment that provides yeah. that in the ones that they're finding themselves walking into yes. in the schools? And so how do we recreate that agency, that purpose, a sense of purpose in leadership? And when we talk about agency, Jenny, tell them what we mean by agency. So agency is the sense that whatever types of situations I am faced with, I have the knowledge, I have the skills, and I have the emotion. Now, here's the piece we don't dwell on, the emotional savvy and intelligence mm -hmm. to navigate it for the good of the student and, and, um, and myself. Mm -hmm. and, and here's the piece. If you are told to just do everything by rote, then you lose that opportunity to develop agency. And you begin to doubt yourself, which is a lack of efficacy. I, I'm not sure. You know, we've got consummate educators in these schools. Yes, we do. And given up the right climate and culture that nurtures agency, and you can't get there without consciousness. That's you right. can't get there without reflection. You can only, you know, people think, well, you know what? I learned a lesson uh, by doing just doing this. No, reflecting on an experience is how you learn the lesson. Mm -hmm. Or even how you got the wrong answer. And I mean, absolutely. I tell people all the time, we fail up all the time. I fail my way to success. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you know, that's part of learning. I mean, and, and having that grace, but you have to have a culture that recognizes and values the journey of learning. And, um, and you know what? I see teachers create that in their day. classrooms every day. Every day. In the questions they ask. And so it's not a question of whether or not they have the ability to do it. It's whether or not we pay enough attention to both our climate and culture to cre recreate and recreate the spaces to help that happen. So Jenny, what I'm hearing you say is that our teachers have the abilities to actually engage students around the explicit curriculum. Yes. You know, the, the, the math, the science, the vocab, blah. It's, but that implicit curriculum, you know, getting through, uh, to bloom through Maslow, having to go through Maslow before you get to bloom is, is paramount these days. And so how safe is your classroom? And, and I don't mean safe physically, but how safe emotionally and socially? Because if I'm not creating an environment that is acknowledging and honoring the funds of knowledge that every child is bringing in that classroom and their covert realities, I'm trying to educate them when in fact they could be in fight, flight, or freeze. They could be yes. in the bottom portion of their brain. No learning happens there. And no, and, and quite frankly, their families can be operating in those three stages too. And you're trying to figure out, well, why won't they read the letter? Why haven't they, they, they need to drop them off at this place, not at this place, not really understanding or valuing the fact that they have them here every day. So exactly. what, are, what, are, what do they need in order to hear the rest of it? Again, understanding the realities that individuals are bringing. And so that's the first part of, of what 
Bruce Perry was talking about. Um, mm -hmm. That whole idea about of those... regulating. Mm -hmm. The idea that... to listen first. Mm -hmm. Then I love the way he says this. Co-develop mm -hmm. strategies. That's that Co agency. Co-develop. That means at no time do you assume that you know you have the whole story. Correct. And that that other person brings some something to contribute to the working out of strategies and implementation of strategies that will support them as well. So that means you have the assumption that they bring something to the table. Correct. But you know, Belisa, as I as we were talking about this, I thought about what you said at the beginning. I need you to think on about this in a couple of levels, interpersonally and also on the systems level. Mm -hmm. Just as we want to prepare for our students, mm -hmm. someone has to actually do the same thing for the teachers. Correct. Someone must do the same thing for the administrators. So right. they, this work is actually pervasive through all the levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I wanna bring it down because we have our beloved teachers listening to us mm -hmm. and our school leaders. Mm -hmm. We want you to get be able to take away things that allow you to really zero in. And just first, the first question is, how can I create the climate in my classroom, in my school, that's going to allow for teaching and learning, which means I'm allowing people to, to be able to negotiate the trauma they felt by COVID-19 that puts them in the back of their brains to help them get up to the front where they can do some thinking. Mm -hmm. That's why I love that Blooms bef uh, before Maslow. Maslow you know, before Blooms. Maslow before Blooms because we have we can't ignore basic needs. So, and we so, know that. So a culture, a culture of how we do things around here has to intentionally incorporate regulation. Yes. It has to intentionally incorporate relationships. Yes. And it has to intentionally identify the rationale for these things yes. and develop a need and value so that it drives what we do. So that yes. reason, that reason. And, that, and, and don't think of it as so amorphous. Of course, there's some systemic strategies, but these things also need to happen on a microcosm, which is in your classroom. So this, when we started today, you, you started with regulation helping us center ourselves before yes. we started. That was very simple. That was very simple. And, and, and teachers need to do that in their class. And I, I just want to make sure we have that handles for each portion, for each container. Mm -hmm. Remember, first to regulate, mm -hmm. then to relate, mm -hmm. and then third, reason. reason. If you keep those things, those the three R's, the three I'm R's. not reading, writing, and arithmetic. <laughs> Let's go with the three R, three R's. Right. Regulate. Relate. relate and reason. So let's unpack that for them so that they can have something they can take hold and try even tomorrow when they return to their classrooms. And what we're talking about is not a one and done. No. So when we're mm -mm. talking about culture, how we do things around here, it means consistently, yes. formally, um, on an ongoing basis, the same way. You know, Jenny, I, I've, I've seen teachers, you know, struggle in terms of grades and things like that. But there's one educator that I don't care what year you look and evaluate their performance, they are always successful. And those are coaches. 
Mm-hmm. So when you when you see coaches, I mean like athletic coaches, you know, your baseball yes. coach, you know, isn't it amazing when kids show up at practice? They started practice, they're 15 minutes into practice before coach even comes out. Right. And they're 15 minutes into practice because of the agency that coach has developed in them because they know when you get into the locker room, this is what we do. When we, we, we put this on, we take this on, when we get onto the floor or on the field, these are the things that we do. And in fact, some of the upperclassmen or older kids will lead that process. So all of this autonomy or agency is built there. The other thing is there's some consistency on how people are traded. Yes. So you come late, it doesn't matter. 50 laps. I don't care. Whatever it is. You know, everybody knows. You don't have to agree with it. You may not think it's fair, but you're doing it. Okay. And everybody is there. So that consistency where kids can take the what is next, what's going to happen next out of the equation and know what's going to happen next. Yes. Allows them to de- to take the risk of yes. having agency, to take the risk of leadership. So when you come in, when these students come in, well, actually, when you come to work, I need you to, to at least take 10, 15 minutes just to center yourself. Yes. How am I doing today? You know, did I take that last argument that I just had with my, my other or, or my kids from the, is it with me here in this place right now? Um, center yourself. Because you're going to have to put your mask on before you put the mask on on the kids. Yes, yes. So with that said, Jenny, what do you think they could do with students? So not only do they regulate themselves, so being that, see here again, that attention and consciousness is really important. See where you are. How do you provide spaces in your class for your students to come in and find themselves in that space? Now they can do that a couple of ways. They can begin to do the deep mindfulness activities. They can do deep breathing. Um, I remember having a listening chair in my classroom and the kids knew that if, if they came in and they felt overwhelmed, all they had to do was sit in that listening chair. And that would give them the five to 10 minutes to just collect themselves. Mm-hmm. Now I had to teach that behavior. Mm-hmm. They didn't abuse it. Children begin to really utilize it and respond to each other in, in a way that was constructive and helpful. Mm-hmm. So how do we, number one, teach the kids to recognize what they're feeling? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Students and then, have to learn the emotions. They, they can't, they don't always come with that. You have to teach them. You know, actually, some of us have to learn. That, <laughs> well, I'm serious because we don't really, we're not conscious of things. You know, yes. we just re, re, we react And what we're hoping you do is move from reacting to responding. And the only way you can respond is to intentionally be monitoring the environment at all times so that it's not um, an additional thing you have to do. It's how we do school. So I'm constantly looking for, you know what? Most teachers can tell you who's going to lose it before 10 o'clock in the morning. Or yes. who's going to lose it in the classroom before the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. Um, and at the same time, you know that at 12 o'clock, if you hear five people sharpen their pencils and you're grating <laughs> your teeth, you're gritting your teeth, then why aren't you allowing people to sharpen their pencils at 11? You know, because, you know, after 12, you don't have tolerance for that. So, so I like in. 
I like that you see be proactive as well as responsive. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I'm hearing as I go into schools, Lisa, is that these 18 months have taken a toll in terms of the total overall climate of the school. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we'll have to be in recognition is we have to recognize is number one, some children have missed that, the, the, that what, 18 months, which is almost a year and a half, okay? So for example, if they were going from eighth grade to high school, they've never been in high school. Nope, they haven't. But, That's but a I whole year that of onboarding and acclimating to the high school setting that they haven't had any chance to, to work through. It's, it's absolutely true. And we hear that, don't we? When we go out, um, we, we hear people say, well, you know, they're still functioning like they're in middle school because this is the first, they're going into their junior year, but this is the first time they've been to high school. So when, they're, when they have that stress, now I yes. don't remember, I know it was a long time ago when I started high school, but there was some stress <laughs> involved in that. Not That's to mention right. that I still have my door keys around my neck. Okay, right. I just look so goofy. But anyway, um, <laughs> there's a lot of stress going from big fish in the pond to little fish, you know, in the That's pond right. when you get there. And so when, when we have inconsistencies in our norms, which is easy to do given that we now have new protocols that we have to follow for school. And on top of, I didn't know what the standard protocols were in the first place. Right. Um, you know, these, these, these intentional orientations are really important to lift up the values of the school and the do's, the things that you wanna see, the behaviors that you wanna see. And more importantly, that space has to be provided for teachers so that they can make come to some consensus around yes. how what is behavior what is good yes. behavior what is Absolutely. inappropriate behavior so if I get in trouble you know chewing gum in Miss Winter's class but Dr. Hume says you can chew gum just make sure everybody has a piece you know that that's you know that's inconsistency and, and already you're stressed now of course yes. I used something that was benign of course, but, but let's talk about hats or, or hoods. You know, some teachers might, you know, feel uncomfortable allowing, you know, telling people to put their hoods down where somebody else, you know, is walking through the hall, you know, put your hood down, da, da, da. But it's how you frame the norms that you wanna see. So there's a couple of hey. things I mm -hmm. wanna say. In your classrooms, this will be a great opportunity to have your students work with you to recreate your classroom norms. Yes. So one and of building leaders similarly need to go. Let's go up that level of that system. Correct. We need to do the same thing with their teachers so that they have some consensus on what's acceptable behavior in our school. They need to build a common language around that. And then, and then let's face it, we have some narratives around what's good behavior, what's bad behavior, what's proper dress, what's not proper dress. And, and we have to, as educators, make the space intentionally to have these courageous conversations. Yes. And to, and to come to some consensus of how we're going to uphold, model, and teach the behaviors we want to see. I think right mm -hmm. now, um, a lot of schools are leaning into rules and regulations instead of the regulating. 
Yes. And so they're going to rule somebody into, into, into deference or rule somebody into the behavior that they want. But, but we already know that rules without a relationship equals rebellion. And that brings us to, um, right before we come to relationships, I want to talk about the need to identify the realities of teachers and students. We need to have some focus. We need to have some forums. We need to send out surveys. I know we sent out surveys pre-pandemic or when we were going into remote to see who had the technology and this, that, and the other. But you really need to know that there are kids who don't have their parents anymore. They lost both parents or they lost That's their the parents. They lost their caregiver or because I lived in a neighborhood that was disproportionately impacted, you may only have 12 of those kids in your school, but their reality is very different than the majority student population in your school. And so when you say you don't have to do this or you don't have to do the other, for them, their parents hear, oh, you're trying to kill us. Because in their communities, you needed to wear a mask. In their communities, you needed to distance six feet. So we need to know the reality. So we need to get that information from them. You said, talk to them. We, and if you can't do that on a building level, you can reach out to the parents in your classroom to identify where they are, what they need. You know, some of them aren't even living in their homes anymore. Maybe they've lost their jobs. Maybe their kid is sleeping on a, on a couch at a sister's house. You, you never know. Well, you know, what, what that really makes helps me to understand is that we can no longer assume that all students have the same context in which they're coming from. Exactly. That's a culturally responsive understanding. Exactly. That's an equity focused understanding that everyone's reality may be very different. And the teachers too. And that's all contained in, in one school mm -hmm. and the teachers as well. And so that, that's that consciousness about who are we serving? That's right. And so when we think about that, when we think about that for me is the primary reason why we have to build the relationships. Exactly. Because people are not going to tell you their lived reality if they don't trust you. That's right. Or they don't think you like them. That's exactly. Or if they don't think you'll help them. Exactly. Those three essential things really help solidify the relationships. It'll go a And long so we've way. talked about this idea first, regulate. Mm -hmm. On a variety of levels, building leaders can regulate how they give us create the space, co-create the space with their teachers mm -hmm. to understand, first of all, their own lived realities. They're, they're not automatons, they're, they're human beings mm -hmm. that come within this context. Mm -hmm. And what's the flavor of our building? Absolutely. What's the flavor there? What, what are we intentionally trying to evoke? And then teachers can do it with their classrooms and that idea of uh, relating. So we said, Regulate, you mm -hmm. said relate. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna shift for a moment for this idea of strategies about reason. <laughs> Why do we do that? Because we do know that we're still um, uh, responsible for the teaching and learning. We know that. Mm -hmm. And you know, our, quick, our educational systems are quick to, to rush into testing and all those kinds of things. 
So it's still looming there in front of us. But at the same time, we know that the route of going straight to teaching and learning and at the peril of ignoring where people are, their lived experiences, the trauma they felt from COVID. And they're still feeling. And still feeling, correct. And without relating to them, solidifying those relationships will not allow us to go to teaching and learning. Mm-mm. And I, this is the piece I, I'm hoping that people will begin to understand. We really do need to take the deep breath. We have to be able to take the deep breath as schools. And no one, no one has to tell you when you need to take your own deep breath. We can't wait for somebody to signal that for us. We have to take stock of ourselves and do it. But and so I, I have often wondered if people can give themselves the permission to slow down. I know we've had a lot of time we feel that we've lost, but we also have gained some things and maybe we can build on those things. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the ways in which we begin that idea of reason, moving us into the reason part. So we go back to when we talk about reasoning, why it's really, really important to reflect and refine the policies and practices with students and families. When we're talking about kids that um, this is their first time being in high school, but they're juniors, it's then you need to intentionally create those spaces again um, that allows them to understand how we do school here, what right. that looks like, how that sounds and how it makes people feel right? Because then you're describing the behavior that you're seeking. And the student then can measure whether or not he or she or they are successful, as well as teachers. Um, I, I believe, and and again, I think you mentioned it a couple of times, we're not doing this in a vacuum. We're bringing some different ideologies to school, you know, teachers and students, and their families bringing different ideologies to school, all these other superfluous things that are are integral to who we are as a community. But in the school, we need to make the culture of the school bigger than the cultures that are being brought into the school. And the only way you'll be able to do that is that culture has to communicate to me that you like me, that you will help me, and that the things that we do around here, the practices and the policies that have been designed are because I can, it, at the end of the day, I can trust you with yes. And so we can't assume that all teachers know how to engage kids around social emotional learning. So we, ha- we can't assume that because their heart and their intentions are correct, that teachers have the skill sets to engage them in a culturally responsive way. So we need to make those priorities in their professional learning, just like we do for math and just like we do for science, because that toolbox is also important and necessary to create these supportive and safe environments that we're talking about, right? Yes. So again, rules without relationship equals rebellion. So when I'm talking to to staff and their first response is, well, we just need to make sure they know the rules. I don't think they know the rules. We need to keep going back to the rules. They're not hearing you. They they can't hear you in the rules because that's not where they are in their brains. 
they, they're, yes. they're trying to survive yes. whatever it is that's going on. So first, how do we provide them with an opportunity to regulate what they're feeling? Yes. And once we do, in the ways in which we go about doing that helps you create a relationship. Yes. Because if you take that time and put it in your day, you're doing it because you care about me, right? And you're telling me that. And I'm telling that to my families and I'm telling that to my teachers. So teachers, I don't think it's a bad idea that before your staff meeting begins, there's a regulating exercise or a community builder or anything that allows them to express and emote. Because yes. they're people too. They're yes. people too. And they need yes. to put their mask on first. And you know, Lisa, we started out this uh, this conversation with doing the check-in. Mm-hmm. What we understand, I just want to kind of pull it together for us. What we understand is that schools play a critical role in both the safety, the emotional health, the mental health, and the teaching, the cognitive growth and development of all of our students. Mm-hmm. They play that same role with their teachers because they're on their their uh, level of development in terms of their careers. And so climate, culture, and COVID-19 really present us not only with a challenge, but with an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity to number one, pause, mm-hmm. and ask the question, how have we served or underserved mm-hmm. students prior to this? Mm-hmm. How can we serve well all students. And as we learn to do that, how can we also take care of ourselves? And then how can this learning opportunity, even though it's a challenge, even though there's a lot of that we've gone through that can be traumatizing, what can we learn that we can take into the next iteration of how we do school? Being mindful that we, know we want to do those three things, regulate, mm-hmm. reason, and re- relate, and reason. But also that learning is iterative. This is an opportunity to see what new lessons we learn, what new forms of, of educating we've learned that we can use. It was no mistake that some students had agency when they went remote. We need to unpack that. We need to understand that. So, so and then the greatest thing for me is that we got to take the deep breath that says we have permission to learn from this, to take care of ourselves, and to bring that learning to bear in all that we do. So, you know, earlier, because those were very salient points that you made. And and when we talk about how we do school around here, right? Um, We have to be intentional about how we take those breaths and how we provide the states, the um, space for us to take those breaths, regardless to which stakeholder you are that's in that building. And one of the ways you do that, we were talking about systemically, because some at some point we have to support what teachers are trying to accomplish in their classrooms. And we do that through an MTSS approach. So those robust tier one strategies of providing explicit instruction of SEL, 
in the classroom, integrating SEL in the academics and making sure that we have wraparound services. So it's not just enough to identify a teacher's or students or family's reality and identify their needs. What supports do we have available for them and how do we connect them to this? All schools usually have some form of this. What we're saying is to we need to be a lot more intentional about it and, yes. and have really consistent ways in which teachers know these resources exist and how to navigate to them or who to navigate families to when they find out. If we're talking about trauma, we know that's tier three. We're not asking teachers to be psychologists or social workers, but they should know where those, source, those resources are in their buildings and who to connect people with. What do you think? I think, well, I say this because I wanted to wrap this up in a way of hopefulness. We, we have a common language and that common language is MTSS. So we're talking right now, instead of the explicit curriculum, we're talking about the implicit curriculum. And until you can honestly do that in your building, building wide, um, the systems kind of will remain unsupportive or let's put it like this, not as supportive as they could be for what is being happening, what's happening or taking place in the classroom. But don't allow that to stop you. Mm -hmm. So in essence, you're saying use the tools that you have to actually reach into systems to not only to take that deep breath, but take it with a new lens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. And I guess I would invite people to really just reflect on some of the things we talked, the three handles, and take that deep breath and to know that Risa is here to support you as you take that breath. Absolutely. We have those resources. We have wraparound services that you can access through our PBIS program. Um, we have culturally responsive um, teaching and instruction um, and teaching that's offered. Um, we have COVID. We have a, a, a well-developed workshop around COVID and racism and the skill sets you need to navigate that in your classroom and in your buildings. I think, I know that RISA has many of the resources that um, teachers will find very beneficial as well as building leads. And so I guess I hope that this, this conversation has allowed them to catch their breaths <laughs> so yes. they can take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, thank you for talking with me about this. Really powerful. It's helped me. Thank you. And thank you both for putting on a masterclass with respect to culture and climate and how the current pandemic has uh, influenced that in our schools today. Um, with that said, I think uh, um, we've done an interesting time today. And uh, uh, for uh, myself, Jason Psycho, Dr. Ellen Vorenkamp, Kyle Nagy, and Melissa Wilson, we'd like to thank Ginny Winters, and Dr. Lisa Humes for joining us today. Thank and you for inviting. Thank you for inviting us. And thank you for listening. Thanks again for listening to Getting to the Core. To access previous episodes, along with transcripts and additional resources, visit risa.net forward slash podcast.